Welcome to Public Domain Playhouse, your source of excellent audio featuring the literature of antiquity. I'm Bart Benny, your narrator and guide. Tonight I present A Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens. Stave 5, The End of It. Originally published in 1843, this book is now 175 years old this Christmas, 2018. But first, let's do a recap of what happened in the previous chapters, Stave 4, The Last of the Spirits, so that we're up to date for this chapter. In The Last of the Spirits, the phantom that has glided towards him at the very beginning, he doesn't talk. All he does is point with his hand. It's definitely a spooky setup, but instead of getting terrified, Scrooge turns to the phantom with childlike excitement and raises his hand, <laughs> wanting to get called in class. And he says, you're the ghost of Christmas yet to come. The phantom doesn't answer, but Scrooge insists, oh, you're about to show me the future. And still there's no answer. Oh, I know, I know, you're going to make me a better person, and I'm on board with that. Still, no answer. The phantom floats away with Scrooge dangling from his cloak, and immediately they're in the city, overhearing a conversation between two businessmen. It seems like somebody has died, and neither of these men actually cares anything about this person. And they're all kind of laughing about how hard it's going to be to gather up people for the funeral because apparently nobody liked this person. Hmm. Wonder who the dead guy could be. Scrooge certainly has no idea. But he tries to get the Phantom to cough up some information, but again is met with stony silence. Another couple of businessmen, also talking about the dead guy, come into view. And they're even uh, less caring than the first group was. Scrooge is all, well, none of this is relevant to my embitterment, so let's get on with the show already. Oh, Scrooge, how could you possibly not be catching on to this? The Phantom takes him to the shady side of town to a rag and bone merchant. Basically, this is an old pawn shop kind of place. So they just show up, two women and a man come into the counter with bags full of stuff. And the first is the charwoman. So here's a little bit of background on Victorian house servants. Since labor was super cheap back then, most people could afford servants. Uh, almost everybody had people doing things for them, except for the very, very dirt poor who were probably the ones doing the work. Servants could be housemaids for cleaning, or the charwoman in this particular case is used for heavy-duty cleaning. There's also cooks and other servants as well. Poor people could still rely on servants, unless they were dirt poor. Usually just a charwoman to come and help with the serious cleaning, which was hard because, you know, it was Victorian England and everything was pretty dirty. Anyway, it's a significant scene because although Scrooge is rolling in money, he had almost no one working for him except that one charwoman. 
It's just another way that Dickens showed how tight-fisted Ebenezer Scrooge was. So, right, back to the pawn shop. The charwoman is a little stressed to show what she's stolen, but the pawn shop owner was like, hey, that dead dude was horrible, so who cares about all the stuff you stole, right? This brilliant bit of philosophy does the trick, and the charwoman starts to unload her bag, except that a man pushes his way in front of her. His plunder is mostly some office equipment. Then there's a second woman who turns out to be a laundress. She's got the sheets and towels and some clothes. Finally, it's the charwoman's turn. She's got, ooh, the bed curtains and the bed blankets, and even the shirt that the dead guy was going to be buried in. The moral of the story? It's that no one cared enough to check on the dead guy so that these three ripped him off blind. Scrooge is, oh, that poor man. Good thing that's not me. He tells the Phantom that he's learned his lesson and that he's going to change his ways so that he doesn't become like that guy. Funny how all of a sudden he's not so really quick on the uptake, huh? The Phantom uh, probably is looking at him like, Ooh, you are slow. Okay then. Desperate times call for desperate measures. So he takes Scrooge to see the dead body lying underneath the sheet in some dark room with no people around it. Scrooge again doesn't make the connection. And he's like, okay, I get it. I will be better so I don't end up like this random stranger. And then for some reason, Scrooge asks the Phantom if there is anyone who does feel anything about this guy's death. Plot twist. Wordplay. The only two people who do feel anything about the death are a couple who feel happy. Dickens, you crazy word crafter. The reason that the two people are happy about this man's deaths is because that they were in debt to the guy. And he was threatening them with bankruptcy. But now that he's dead, they have some time to try and come up with the money before a new creditor takes over these loans. Suddenly, Scrooge and the Phantom are at the Cratchits' house. Nothing too happy happening here this time. The kids all have to go out and get jobs, and it also turns out Tiny Tim is dead. Bob Cratchit is coming back from the cemetery in the scene, and he breaks down eventually. Scrooge is moved by the death of Tiny Tim, but he definitely wants to get out of the Cratchits' house. It's a little uncomfortable for him. Can't say as I blame him. He asked the Phantom to finally show himself in the future. So, yeah, he's still not catching on. The Phantom starts taking him somewhere, and they go by his old office. Scrooge looks through the window only to see some other guy in there, different kinds of furniture in the place, and he's like, huh, that's curious. Finally, they get to an abandoned cemetery, and the Phantom points down to one of the graves. Scrooge starts to freak out, but still makes his way over to the grave and sees his own name. Okay, yeah, so we all know and we all saw that coming. It's not too much of a surprise there, but the way Dickens lays it out is relatively suspenseful, and it helps deliver Scrooge's final revelation. Scrooge suddenly clues into the fact that he's the dead guy on the bed, whom everyone was discussing, hating on, and not missing whatsoever now that he's gone. 
In this terrible situation, he asked the Phantom a really crucial question. Is he showing him actually the future, or just a number of possible futures in some sort of quantum physics multiverse theory being discussed for the first time in Victorian literature? Dickens was pretty much ahead of his time. Scrooge grabs onto the Phantom's hand at the very end, pleading with him to answer, but the Phantom, staying true to his silent form, just dissolves away into a bedpost. And that was the end of Stave 4, The Last of the Spirits. And now we come to the final chapter of Dickens's A Christmas Carol, Stave 5, The End of It. So let's see. Where was I? Stave 5. <clears throat> Stave 5, The End of It. Yes! And the bedpost was his own. The bed was his own. The room was his own. Best and happiest of all, the time before him was his own, to make amends in. I will live in the past, the present, and the future, Scrooge repeated, as he scrambled out of bed. The spirits of all three shall strive within me. Oh, Jacob Marley, heaven in the Christmas time be praised for this. I say it on my knees, old Jacob, on my knees. He was so fluttered and so glowing with his good intentions that his broken voice would scarcely answer to his call. He had been sobbing violently in his conflict with the spirit, and his face was wet with tears. They are not torn down, cried Scrooge, folding one of his bed curtains in his arms. They are not torn down, rings and all. They are here. I am here. The shadows of things that would have been may be dispelled. They will be. I know they will. His hands were busy with his garments all the time, turning them inside out, putting them on upside down, tearing them, mislaying them, making them parties to every kind of extravagance. I don't know what to do, cried Scrooge, laughing and crying in the same breath, and making a perfect laocoon of himself with his stockings. I am as light as a feather. I am as happy as an angel. I am as merry as a schoolboy. I am as giddy as a drunken man. A Merry Christmas to everybody. A Happy New Year to all the world. Hello here. Woof. Hello. He had frisked into the sitting room and was now standing there, perfectly winded. There's the saucepan that the gruel was in, cried Scrooge, starting off again and going round the fireplace. There's the door by which the ghost of Jacob Marley entered. Oh, there's the corner where the ghost of Christmas presents sat. There's the window where I saw the wandering spirits. It's all right. It's all true. It all happened. <laughs> really, for a man who had been out of practice for so many years, it was a splendid laugh. A most illustrious laugh. The father of a long, long line of brilliant laughs. I don't know what day of the month it is, said Scrooge. I don't know how long I've been among the spirits. Oh, I don't know anything. I'm quite a baby. Well, never mind. I don't care. I'd rather be a baby. Hello! Whoop! Hello here! 
He was checked in his transports by the churches ringing out the lustiest peals he had ever heard. Clash, clang, hammer, ding, dong, bell, bell, dong, ding, hammer, clang, clash, oh, glorious, glorious. Running to the window, he opened it and put out his head. No fog, no mist, clear, bright, jovial, stirring, cold, cold, piping for the blood to dance to, golden sunlight, heavenly sky, sweet fresh air, merry bells, oh glorious, glorious. What's today? cried Scrooge, calling downward to a boy in Sunday clothes, who perhaps had loitered in to look about him. Eh? returned the boy, with all his might of wonder. What's today, my fine fellow? said Scrooge. Today? replied the boy. Why, Christmas Day. It's Christmas Day, said Scrooge to himself. I haven't missed it. The spirits have done it all in one night. They can do anything they like. Of course they can. Of course they can. Hello, my fine fellow. Hello, returned the boy. Do you know the porterers in the next street but one at the corner? Scrooge inquired. I should hope I did, replied the lad. An intelligent boy, said Scrooge. A remarkable boy. Do you know whether they've sold the prize turkey that was hanging up there? Not the little prize turkey, the big one. What? The one as big as me, returned the boy. What a delightful boy, said Scrooge. It's a pleasure to talk to him. Yes, my buck. It's hanging there now, replied the boy. Is it, said Scrooge. Go and buy it. Walk, ah, exclaimed the boy. No, no, said Scrooge. I am in earnest. Go and buy it and tell them to bring it here that I may give them the direction where to take it. Come back with the man and I'll give you a shilling. Come back with him in less than five minutes and I'll give you half a crown. The boy was off like a shot. He must have had a steady hand at a trigger who could have got a shot off half so fast. I'll send it to Bob Cratchit's, whispered Scrooge, rubbing his hands and splitting with a laugh. <laughs> he shan't know who sends it. It's twice the size of Tiny Tim. Joe Miller never made such a joke as sending it to Bob's will be. The hand in which he wrote the address was not a steady one, but write it he did somehow, and went downstairs to open the street door, ready for the coming of the poulterer's man. As he stood there waiting for his arrival, the knocker caught his eye. I shall love it. As long as I live, cried Scrooge, patting it with his hand. I scarcely ever looked at it before. What an honest expression it has on its face. It's a wonderful knocker. Here's the turkey. Hello. Whoop. Ooh. How are you? Merry Christmas. It was a turkey. He never could have stood upon his legs, that bird. He would have snapped them short off in a minute, like sticks of sealing wax. Why? It's impossible to carry that to Camden Town, said Scrooge. You must have a cab. The chuckle with which he said this, and the chuckle with which he paid for the turkey, and the chuckle with which he paid for the cab, and the chuckle with which he recompensed the boy, 
were only to be exceeded by the chuckle with which he sat down breathless in his chair again, and chuckled till he cried. Shaving was not an easy task, for his hand continued to shake very much, and shaving requires attention, even when you don't dance while you are at it. But if he had cut the end off of his nose, he would have put a piece of sticking plaster over it and been quite satisfied. He dressed himself all in his best, and at last got out into the streets. The people were by this time pouring forth, as he had seen them with the ghost of Christmas present, and walking with his hands behind him, Scrooge regarded everyone with a delighted smile. He looked so irresistibly pleasant in a word that three or four good-humored fellows said, Good morning, sir. A Merry Christmas to you. And Scrooge said often afterwards that of all the blithe sounds he had ever heard, those were the blithest in his ears. He had not gone far when coming on towards him. He beheld the portly gentleman who had walked into his counting house the day before and said, Scrooge and Marley, as I believe... It sent a pang across his heart to think how this gentleman would look upon him when they met. But he knew what path lay straight before him, and he took it. My dear sir, said Scrooge, quickening his pace and taking the old gentleman by both hands. How do you do? I hope you succeeded yesterday. It was very kind of you. A Merry Christmas to you, sir. Mr. Scrooge? Yes, said Scrooge, that is my name, and I fear I may not be pleasant to you. <laughs> Allow me to ask your pardon. And will you have the goodness? Here, Scrooge whispered in his ear. Lord, bless me, cried the gentleman, as if his breath were taken away. My dear Mr. Scrooge, are you serious? If you please, said Scrooge, not a farthing less. <laughs> a great many back payments are included in it, I assure you. Will you do me that favor? My dear sir, said the other, shaking hands with him, I don't know what to say. Such munifer... Don't say anything, please, retorted Scrooge. Come and see me. Will you come and see me? I will, cried the old gentleman, and it was clear he meant to do it. Thank you, said Scrooge. I am much obliged to you. I thank you fifty times. Bless you. He went to church and walked about the streets and watched the people hurrying to and fro and patted children on the head and questioned beggars and looked down into the kitchens of houses and up to the windows and found that everything could yield him pleasure. He had never dreamed that any walk that anything could give him so much happiness. In the afternoon, he turned his steps towards his nephew's house. He passed the door a dozen times before he had the courage to go up and knock, but he made a dash and did it. Is your master at home, my dear? said Scrooge to the girl. Nice girl, very. Yes, sir. Where is he, my love? said Scrooge. He's in the dining room, sir along with the mistress. I'll show you upstairs, if you please. Thank you. He knows me, said Scrooge, with his hand already on the dining room lock. I'll go in here, my dear. 
He turned it gently and sidled his face in round the door. They were looking at the table, which was spread out in a great array, for these young housekeepers are always nervous on such points and like to see that everything is right. Fred, said Scrooge, dear heart alive, how his niece by marriage started. Scrooge had forgotten for the moment about her sitting in the corner with the footstool, or he wouldn't have done it on any account. Why, bless my soul, cried Fred. Who's that? It's I, your Uncle Scrooge. I have come to dinner. Will you let me in, Fred? Let him in? It is a mercy he didn't shake his arm off. He was at home in five minutes. Nothing could be hardier. His niece looked just the same. So did Topper when he came. So did the plump sister when she came. So did everyone when they came. Wonderful party, wonderful games, wonderful unanimity, wonderful happiness. But he was early at the office next morning. Oh, he was early there. If he could only be there first and catch Bob Cratchit coming late. That was the thing he had set his heart upon. And he did it, yes, he did. The clock struck nine, no Bob. A quarter past, no Bob. He was full 18 minutes and a half behind his time. Scrooge sat with his door wide open that he might see him come into the tank. His hat was off before he opened the door, his comforter too. He was on his stool in a jiffy, driving away with his pen, as if he were trying to overtake nine o'clock. Hello, growled Scrooge in his accustomed voice, as near as he could feign it. What do you mean by coming here this time of day? I am very sorry, sir, said Bob. I am behind my time. You are, repeated Scrooge. Yes, I think you are. Step this way, sir, if you please. It's only once a year, sir, pleaded Bob, appearing from the tank. It shall not be repeated. I was making rather merry yesterday, sir. Now I'll tell you what, my friend, said Scrooge. I am not going to stand for this sort of thing any longer. <laughs> and therefore, he continued, leaping from his stool and giving Bob such a dig in the waistcoat that he staggered backward into the tank again. And therefore, I am about to raise your salary. Bob trembled and got a little nearer to the ruler. He had a momentary idea of knocking Scrooge down with it, holding him and calling to the people in the court for help in a straight waistcoat. A Merry Christmas, Bob, said Scrooge, with an earnestness that could not be mistaken as he clapped him on the back. A merrier Christmas, Bob, my good fellow, than I have given you for many a year. I'll raise your salary and endeavor to assist your struggling family. And we will discuss your affairs this very afternoon over a Christmas bowl of smoking bishop, Bob. <laughs> Make the fires and buy another coal scuttle before you dot another eye, Bob Cratchit. Scrooge was better than his word. He did it all, and infinitely more. And to Tiny Tim, who did not die, 
He was a second father. He became as good a friend, as good a master, as good a man, as the good old city knew, or any other good old city, town, or borough in the good old world. Some people laughed to see the alteration in him, but he let them laugh, and little heeded them, for he was wise enough to know that nothing ever happened on this globe for good, at which some people did not have their fill of laughter in the outset, and knowing that such as these would be blind anyway, he thought it quite as well that they should wrinkle up their eyes in grins, and have the malady in less attractive forms. His own heart laughed, and that was quite enough for him. He had no further intercourse with spirits, but lived upon the total abstinence principle ever afterwards. And it was always said of him that he knew how to keep Christmas well if any man alive possessed the knowledge. May that be truly said of us and all of us, And so, as Tiny Tim observed, God bless us, everyone. Well... That concludes the final stave of Charles Dickens's A Christmas Carol. 175 years old, this Christmas 2018, and a timeless classic that will always be able to have significance in today's society. Thank you for joining me. I'm Bart Benny, your host for Public Domain Playhouse. I want to wish you all a safe and happy holiday season. Stay warm, take care of each other, and as always, come back to Public Domain Playhouse for the finest works of fiction in antiquity.